to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Well, welcome everyone to the Bean Ninjas podcast. I'm Wayne Richard, and we're talking mission, magic, and money. And the one formula you must understand for e-commerce growth with Taylor Holiday of Common Thread Co. Welcome to the show, Taylor. How are you doing today? Where are you joining us in from? I'm in from Southern California, and given uh, the state of the apocalyptic world we live in, I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Good to hear. So today you're going to share with our audience your insights to growing your e-commerce store profits. But before you do, you're the only guest on this podcast to have listed on your LinkedIn profile. Pretty straightforward. Tried to hit homers for the New York Yankees. <laughs> yeah, let me know, man. Let gosh, me know, man. It, it feels like many, many years ago, but that is part of the story. It's unbelievable. No, congrats on that. So what's something you learned as an athlete from the Yankees organization that, that you've applied in your in your business? Yeah, it's funny. So, so I'd say so much, so much. One is that like there's just a there's a discipline to the rhythm of being an athlete that is so directly applicable to um, running a business. And even this morning, one of the one of my rhythms right now is we I, I sort of try to figure out how to prepare myself mentally for each day. Is I don't know if you guys have ever used the Calm app like for meditation. But they have this awesome – so LeBron James did like an eight-part series um, of a meditation sequence that talks about his mental preparation for the game. And there's this, one of the episodes is pregame prep, and it's LeBron talking through his pregame routine and what it applies to. And it is like legitimately still so helpful to me as I get ready to lead company meetings and everything else. Um, and so there's this mentality of the way you prepare for moments in sports that I think is just an incredibly valuable skill – um, and then the other thing is, is that we have this principle or this value inside of our company where everybody's, the, the statement is, you're the entrepreneur of your own life. And the idea is that ultimately you are individually accountable for the outcomes um, of your own life. And when you take ownership of that, it creates a lot of opportunity for you. And as an athlete, that is the truth. Your body, everything that you do is your business, like your care for it. Um, you are in control of how you prepare um, and approach it. And so, so much of that is woven its way into the language that we use in our business and everything else. So it's a, it's a major factor of our lives because it's not only me, all my partners, we all played professional sports and my partner, Jordan played eight years in the NFL. My partner, Corey played for the Tigers. Um, and my partner, Ian was a professional surfer for a bit. So we all come with that sort of competitive spirit, discipline, and approach to the way we do things. That's awesome. And your company's Common Thread Co. How did the idea for CTC come about? Yeah, so we grew up on the brand side. So we first started a company called Power Balance way back in the day. You may remember those silicone bracelets that athletes were running around wearing for a while. Um, yes. And then got into starting a company called Kalo, which sells silicone wedding rings. So we had grown up on the brand side and building consumer product businesses for the last 10 years. And um, as we sort of got through that, when we did those businesses in our younger years, uh, before we all got married and had kids, we just, we just lived at the office and every weekend was another event and something else. And we just loved it. It just met the same things in us that sports did. And so we just poured our whole life into it. And then as we sort of moved into to this new season of life, we still wanted to be able to build brands. Um, but we wanted to figure out a way to do it differently. So we tried to create a sort of systemic approach where we thought about how we could build a system that could better support 
um, the development of brands. And that was really what gave birth to what is our holding company. So we have a holding company called uh, Dream Lab um, that owns a variety of different companies. The first of which you mentioned, Common Thread Collective. That's our agency where we work with consumer product e-commerce businesses between zero and $30 million to help them grow their revenue. Um, we also have a company called 4x400, where we actually own and operate our own businesses. Um, so we have four of our own brands that we acquire and operate ourselves. We have a 3PL company called Left Brain Logistics. We have an influencer marketing agency called Kinship. And then we have a cultural development um, service business called Tell Me Your Dreams. And so all of those sit under um, the holding company Dream Labs and allow us to get this like really what we think is sort of an unprecedented view into the consumer product e-com world. Was it, was it always the original plan to diversify across these many different modalities? Yeah. So we, we developed this principle in our first two businesses, which was basically vertically integrating any major line item we had. So we would go through our business and anytime we, on the cost side of the business, we're looking at a major spend. We tried to figure out a way in which we could benefit from that spend. So if you think about, like, if you just go through each of those service providers as an e-commerce business, um, your agency costs are a major uh, cost center. Your fulfillment is a major cost center. Uh, for us, influencer marketing was a major cost center. And then um, we were we spent a lot of time and money on this um, internal cultural service called Tell Me Your Dreams, which is a whole sort of separate podcast in and of itself. And so one of the principles that we've developed as business owners is um, just trying to find a way to benefit from every major line item in our cost side of our business. So even we've gotten into commercial real estate, we own the buildings that we're in. So we just try and be ruthless about any time we have a major cost center, how do we create benefit from it in the long term? Um, and then really trying to answer the question, what does what does our client need um, that we can provide them from the ecosystem to fulfill the mission of helping them achieve their dreams? So who's, who's your services best suited for? So you mentioned clients. Who do you typically work with? Yeah, so everything we do is what we call SMB e-com. So zero to 30 million consumer product e-com. And I would say, depending on what phase of that journey you're in, um, you could use more or less of the services. But um, we have at the earliest stage, if you're sort of in that zero to 1 million range, we have a community coaching product called youradmission.co, which is actually free right now for two weeks. You and I were just rapping about that um, to anyone to get through this tumultuous time once the common journey. We have about 500 entrepreneurs in that community group. And then I'd say once you get above that million to $5 million range, that's where it really becomes viable to pursue us as an agency partner. So that's where Common Thread Collective will often step in and be a growth partner on that journey now up to about 30 million is the top end of the threshold where we would really say, hey, you need to go find an enterprise partner that can meet some more of your infrastructure needs than what we're set up to do. Yeah, I guess to, to try to place a silver lining and, and remain positive here, Really, I, I'm so impressed by folks openly sharing their unique skills, their knowledge and experience, and really in a spirit of service to everyone. So it's amazing. So everyone, make sure check out admission.co uh, and get out there. So let me know about the agency side. The one thing I found interesting is the data-led strategy you guys use to yeah. understanding growth and the different levers that that sellers can use to really manipulate the the growth in their business. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so I think one of our core value propositions as a service provider is that we are actually co-journeyers with our clients um, in that we own and operate our own brands. So we approach marketing from an operator's mindset. And what that basically means is that we think deeply about the financial and economic impacts of our advertising decisions. And so what that has led us to do is to really try and create sort of ideological frameworks that we can help coach our internal employees on and bring our clients through to help them think about the different levers of growth, the different levers of profit, and how we help them to achieve that. So we've worked really hard to sort of think about solving two problems. One is educating our employees and doing training and learning development um, for them so that we can begin to make them effective at helping to accomplish our clients' goals of growing their profitability. And then also, what are the different marketing metrics and data points that are signals of a business's health at this early stage? And so both of those things we think are absolutely critical and foundational to being able to actually succeed, especially in a world of paid media, um, where we spend a lot of our time and it's so data-driven and metrics-driven. But the metrics that are important are really constantly changing over time relative to how people are growing their businesses. The one formula I've seen you out there promoting is V times CR times CM minus VC. Let us know what that means. Yeah. So this is sort of what we consider the growth equation that is most critical for e-commerce businesses in this day and age. And I'll go through each of these metrics and sort of what they mean and how we think about them. So on the front end, what you have is visitors. So the V stands for visitors times conversion rate times a metric that we call cash multiplier. Um, And basically, if you think about that as an equation to generate revenue, so that sort of gives you a revenue output of a specific cohort of users. So when now let me let me talk specifically about cash multiplier for a second. So that formula used to be visitors times conversion rate times average order value equals revenue. Um, And for a long time, that was sort of a sufficient way to look at it because there was the business of growth was really about arbitraging the front end of the equation, arbitraging visitors because they're so cheap to acquire traffic that revenue really was a great proxy for profit. But nowadays, that's not as true as it was three, four, five years ago. And so a lot of people are moving to uh, a metric that is now sort of an industry buzzword called lifetime value, right? So they would replace maybe average order value with lifetime value of a customer. But for us, we actually think for most early stage e-commerce businesses, lifetime value is actually not a very helpful metric at all. And the reason is, one, it's a subjective metric, meaning that when you use the phrase lifetime, it applies to a variable period of time for every business. If you've been in business five years and I've been in business six months, when we use that metric, we're referring to different things. And so anytime I find that to be the case with a metric, it, what it says to me is that it doesn't communicate clearly. And it's also not that actionable because we have this joke that everybody will all die waiting for our LTV to show up. And the idea right. is that like nobody can wait a year usually um, because e-commerce businesses are so cash flow intensive and, uh, and managing cash flow is absolutely the most critical skill of an e-commerce business that looking at things in 12 month windows really doesn't give you a whole lot of insight. So what we did is we created this metric that we call your cash multiplier. And again, we call it that just to keep in forefront of your mind that your job is to grow your cash. Um, And what we use that is to to define, we define that as your 60-day LTV. Um, And what we say is like, you have the right to adjust that number to to match your business. You could look at it in a 30-day window or a 90-day window. But we think a 60-day window is a really powerful number for most businesses to consider how much they're increasing the value of the customers that they acquire within that 60-day window. 
And so that metric, your cash multiplier becomes really critical to understanding um, the value of your customers. Um, so we think about it as visitors times conversion rate times your cash multiplier minus your variable costs equals, and, and the, we just put a dollar sign, but it could, another phrase that's commonly used is contribution margin. Um, so when we say variable cost, what we talk about is every dollar that gets spent in the process of getting a product to a customer um, and changes based on the number of orders that you get. Um, so that's where the variable idea is. That number goes up or down relative to the number of orders that you get. Um, and it's every dollar that goes into getting the product to the customer. So think of this as your transaction fees, your shipping fees, your pick pack fees, obviously the cost of goods, your advertising fees, anything that goes into that number. Awesome. So now that you've put this together as a brand, how would you know where to focus first to drive growth? And is yeah. there one element that's more important than any of the others? Gosh. Okay. So, yeah. So this is such a great question. And one of the things, the reason we talk in these frameworks is because there is no one answer for everybody, but these give you, uh, like the way I teach my strategists that their job is to be an investigative journalist. They are, they are writing a story about a problem and using these variables as a lens to discover where the problem exists, but it's going to be different in every business. So I love that. Yeah. So I, I, so, I look at it too, like a machinist and you have yeah. levers you can pull. Right. And totally. you have the V lever, the CR level, the CM lever. But yeah. sorry. Exactly. So so depending. So one of the easy ways that we have this accounting principle um, and it's because we're on a financial podcast, I don't mind getting into this. Uh, normally on marketing podcasts, people's eyes would glaze over. But I think I think your Preach. audience will appreciate it. So we call it the four quarters accounting principle of e-com. OK, so the idea is if you were to break apart your P&L. Um, into four different categories. The first category being CAC, cost of acquisition. In other words, how much are you spending on media dollars um, as part of your P&L? And then the second quarter would be what we call cost of delivery. So that goes back to that variable cost idea. Everything that you spend on shipping, fulfillment, um, your merchandising fees, or your, your transaction fees, your payment processor fees, everything that goes into the cost of delivery and then the third quarter is your OPEX. And then the fourth quarter is profit. And if you broke your P&L into all four of those categories and you looked at them all through the lens of greater or less than 25%, you could begin to find where there's area of opportunity for improving your profit. So that is not to say that every business should be at 25% across all three categories. Of course not. But we think that that is an indicator that begins to allow you to hone in on the problem. So let's say if on the CAC side, you were sitting at 40% CAC. Well, now we've got to begin to look at why and how we reduce that because the business is not going to be able to survive at that, that cost of acquisition. Or in some businesses, we see the OPEX nowhere up around 50%. And in reality, for most e-com businesses, that's also not going to work. So from, from trying to discover entry point into profit, that is a really simple way to sort of slice up your P&L and get at glance a way in which to identify potential problem areas. Um, so that's on the, the sort of looking at the accounting side of things. Now on the equation side, visitors times conversion rate times cash multiplier, I'm going to give you some, again, general principles to use as thinking about uh, lenses. So on the cash multiplier side, what we want to see for any business that is dependent on LTV now, when I, what kinds of businesses are dependent on LTV? Any consumable product. 
any product with a large SKU set, um, anything like that is going to be, it's really critical that you think about your cash multiplier. A general subscription rule. businesses. Yeah, exactly. Anything where your goal is to get somebody to purchase more than once. So um, the, the general rule is this. If you can increase the value of your customer 30% within 60 days and 100% within a year, you've done a good job of indicating that you are building a brand connection to that customer that is going to signal a healthy LTV. So that is like a lens that when my people start, they'll look at cash multiplier and they'll go, okay, where do we sit relative to 30%? If it's less than 30%, why? Oh, it's a single SKU business with giant AOV and big gross margins on the first purchase? Okay, don't got to worry about it. Or, hmm, this product, like one of, the, one of the common things that we see is that people don't think about the relationship between the consumption rate and the size of the thing that they're selling relative to the rate at which they want people to repurchase. Um, and the pricing associated with it. So we'll help them solve that. So there's lots of things that that 3100 rule on the cash multiplier side will help you with. Um, on the conversion rate side, this is one of the harder ones, but this is so, cause it's so relative to AOV. Um, but what I would think about is that I'm gonna give you again, very general rules here. This is like giant red flag asterisk, don't apply this number directly to your business, but um, 2%, and then think of it as the lever going up and down relative to your AV. So if you were sitting at a business selling a $75 product, you would want to be somewhere around 75%. Or, or sorry, if $75 product, 2% conversion rate. Mm -hmm. Now, if your AOV goes up, that conversion rate can come down. If your AOV goes down, that conversion rate needs to come up, right? So you can start to think about those as levers that hold each other in tension to start to identify the problem for your business. And then on the visitor side, it all goes back to a, a metric that we call marketing efficiency rating, which is just total revenue divided by total spend. And what we want that number to be is, again, using that, toward that uh, four-quarter accounting principle, I want to see that your marketing efficiency rating, your MER, is greater than four. So if four, that means that for every dollar I spend in marketing, I'm making four. Um, that means that my CAC is going to be less than 25% of my overall revenue. Um, if it's north of that, we've got some problems. And at scale, I really want to see that number starting to get to five, six, seven, eight um, to really be healthy. And so each of those begin to give us a sense of what is the problem with the business that is causing it to produce not the uh, less profit than we want it to. That was a lot. I hope it made some sense. No, it's so practical. And I think we'd be tone deaf if we didn't kind of share maybe some of the impact that we've seen. We're recording now on the 20th of March. So we're in the midst of the impact due to COVID-19. So in recent weeks, what have you seen as the impact to this formula across the brands that you're a part of? Great question. Great question. So um, the biggest impact we see right now is conversion rate. Um, so if you think about that middle part of the equation, what we're seeing on the visitor side is that Actually, what's happening, um, and we're going to keep with economics terms here because, again, just trying to tailor this message to your audience. On the advertising side, what we're seeing is supply and demand economics lower the price of traffic. So everybody is at home using Facebook and Instagram. So there's more ad inventory available. So we're actually seeing the price, the CPM, cost per thousand impressions on ads, go down. So the traffic is actually cheaper than normal. So your V would be less expensive than it normally is. But what's happening is people aren't converting as often. Um, now, there's a lot of categories where this is not true at all. There's categories that are exploding right now. 
pajamas, lingerie, in-home fitness, meal delivery, um, even skincare. There's a lot of categories that are exploding. But on average, collectively across our entire data set, conversion rate is where we're taking, seeing businesses take the biggest, biggest hit. And when that's the case, we begin to do work around messaging to the moment. One of the biggest problems for most brands is that the reasons people bought products two weeks ago is not the reasons that they're buying products today. We are in a completely different state as human beings, and we need to update our messaging to reflect that. So that's what we're working through with a lot of our clients is helping them improve the conversion rate. And then the other thing is just a lot of people are running into supply chain issues. So things that are affecting the variable cost, either um, they are seeing that get turned off, they're seeing delays in shipping, they're seeing increased um, cost of air freight, all sorts of different things that are affecting the VC portion of the equation as well. So awesome. So I want to switch gears a little bit. You guys do run a digital growth agency and you've spoken quite proudly about your involvement with Facebook. So why is Facebook the best platform for marketing effectiveness? Yeah, so Facebook, and I, I want to be clear, I have no incentive to say this. I have no re, like monetary compensation from Facebook. I will leave Facebook the second this statement is no longer true. <laughs> I am completely platform agnostic, but Facebook is the greatest advertising tool ever built, and it's not even close. And the reason is this. For the last, like a lot of people think about Facebook and Instagram as the power being about targeting. In other words, you can go in and choose these really specific subsets of people to go after. And that's sort of it. But actually what it really is, is their ability to identify user purchase intent. So for the last 10 years, Facebook has had a pixel that has been sitting on every website on the internet virtually that tracks every purchase that every human being makes. In addition to that, if any of you have ever used Facebook Connect to log into any app in the world, along with their ability to track your location, et cetera, et cetera, the bottom line is Facebook knows everything about everybody and who they are, what their purchase intent, what they're browsing on the internet, when they're going to buy, why they're going to buy, and can target ads relative to that behavior pattern in ways that no other business can. So their ability to do something that most ad platforms struggle to do, which is demand creation in other words, turn a non-intent shopper into somebody who is suddenly shopping for your product is unmatched in the universe. Um, and if anybody's sitting there, one of the things that we often hear is like, oh, my customer is not on Facebook. Wrong. Everybody on earth is on Facebook or Instagram. Like there is not a consumer demo that you can't reach on this platform. Um, and so it's just, it is just so far above and beyond so much better than any ad product that exists right now. Um, that, that for our biggest risk to our business and most people's businesses is just, uh, the, over, how over indexed they are with their media spend onto this single source platform. But it's because any moving dollars anywhere else comes at an opportunity cost. But how do you balance that with the opportunity to test? I know even in looking at my teenage daughter and the yes. videos that were made on Musical.ly, now TikTok, yep. but when should brands experiment and test just to be in a position to know that there's another platform they can have some success in and potentially be that outlier? Yeah. The, the answer is when they can afford to lose the money. Um and I mean that very directly. You have When we say test, we have to understand and define what we mean by that. A test is by definition an opportunity to go explore something that you have no reason to believe will produce a significant outcome. So 
I think it is very important for businesses who have expendable budget to use it in an R&D fashion that is about trying to identify new areas of opportunity, but you have to consider it lost money. And I know that that's like, because the problem I, I see people get into is they talk about diversification of their media spend. And in their mind, what they're saying is I want to go spend money somewhere else that will be as efficient or more efficient than the current place I'm spending it. That's not what a test is. So I would absolutely encourage people to test, but to test with the understanding that the expectation is that that money does not return as efficiently as the places you're currently spending it. So awesome. So I want to switch gears a moment and talk Taylor. So yeah. help, me, help me understand. So here you are, you're a twin dad entrepreneur across a portfolio of businesses. What are some of your go-to processes or practices, even some tools for being productive and effective? Yeah, man, I, uh, I, this has been the biggest thing that I have been on a journey on for the last year is that I reached a point where I felt like um, who I was was no longer actually capable of continuing to lead um, the organization that I was building. Um, and if I didn't transform myself, like the organization wasn't going to go where I needed it to go. And the reality was I identified, and I'm going to get a little bit personal right now, and this is just who I am, so I hope you guys appreciate it. Um, but I realized that I had a few problems, um, and they were manifesting themselves in my organization. So one was I, um, I lacked discipline. So uh, I don't have a relationship with a father figure in my life. Um, I am a CEO. I have very few people that have authority over me in any way in my life and can provide accountability to me in any way. Um, and I find accountability to be an incredibly useful thing for every human um, that exists. And I was struggling and our organization as a result was struggling with discipline. Um, so a few things that I have done in response to this that have been really like genuinely transformative for me as a human. Um, one is I got onto a really rigid um, workout routine with a group of men that show up every morning at 5.30 with me. Um, and we work out six days a week um, at 5.30 in the morning. Um, so I can be back before the kids wake up. And then um, I also got onto a rigid diet. I had just let food sort of become this emotional crutch in my life um, that after being an athlete for many years, I sort of was just lost the, the uh, energy and focus around um, how I cared for my body because I didn't make the connection that care for my body um, would affect my business in the same way it did as when I was an athlete. And it just absolutely does. Um, so those have been two major things is discipline around diet and exercise that genuinely have transformed how I'm able to show up for people in my life. Um, the second thing is like what I mentioned as it relates to mental preparation for my, um, my work. So meditation has been a big part of that for me. Prayer is a big part of that. Um, but if I don't mentally prepare to show up for my people at my office, um, they don't get the best version of me and I quickly get overwhelmed. And the same is true for my family and my kids is that I can no longer just roll out of bed and roll into my day and expect to be effective. Like there's just too much on my plate for that to work. So I have to really think about preparing for my day like I would for a game or like I would for anything else. And Again, that includes a workout, it includes my diet, and then it includes like mental preparation. And that is a huge one for me. I'm a really emotional dude. <laughs> I wear my emotions on my sleeve and it's a gift and a curse. I'm a passionate guy. Hopefully you feel some of that in this conversation, but that can get the best of me. And I once heard that um, and read 
this thing that I've taken to heart as a CEO is that the best CEOs can move from conversation to conversation. Um, and it, the one can be a difficult conversation where you're having to lay off an employee to a conversation about finances to a public podcast like this. And no one knows the, the room that they just came out of. Um, and because you can emotionally transition from one to the other. Well, that doesn't happen naturally for well for me. If I come out of a hard conversation, I wear that on my sleeve. So I have to emotionally prepare for that. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is information organization. Um, across all these different businesses we described and the things that we're doing, I have a, I, a lot of inputs on a daily basis. Um, and so my external brain hard drive that I build in Evernote um, is a really critical component for me to be able to easily access information when I need it to be effective and efficient in, in quick timeframes. Speed is really important in my world. We deal in a world that for digital marketing that changes very fast. And our brains are really good at some kinds of recall. But if I asked you like, hey, what did you talk about in that conversation that you had on December 1st with that client specifically? Our brains are really bad at that kind of recall. Um, and I've learned that. And so indexing conversations and notes digitally with tags that'll allow me to easily sort it and access it um, just has amplified what I'm able to be and bring to conversation as a person in a way that is super, super helpful. Super long so, answer. I'm sorry, but it's so important to me and I hope it's helpful to somebody. No, absolutely. Help me understand too, has this been disrupted or have you had to adapt in the recent weeks in light of school closures and oh kind of gosh. moving teams to work from home? Oh, dude. Yes. So I... My wife is a teacher. Uh, we have three little kids, as you mentioned. So my wife, uh, she teaches Tuesdays and Thursdays. So she's out of the house. Now she, she goes to my office, which is now empty, and teaches online classes. Um, so from 8 to 2.30 on Tuesday and Thursday, I am home with all three kids. And then I basically work a night shift on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so um, that is a completely different logistical change for our family. And then my, like, there's so many things. The workout thing, obviously, we can't go to the gym anymore. So I've had to reprogram all of that. Um, my wife, of course, still wants to work out. So when we get up, it's completely transitioned. And like, there's so many things. Um, and I actually feel um, over the last two weeks that I'm experiencing um, this, like, it's almost like I can feel my brain being rewired around all sorts of new creative problem solving because I feel so engaged in coming up with new solutions to new problems. Um, in some ways, it's really draining and actually requires that I like, over-prioritize sleep and some other things. But in a lot of ways, it's like unlocked a creative energy that I haven't felt in a really long time. So it's a combination of draining and energizing and just constant problem solving um, that I'm sure many of you are feeling as well. So great. I also feel it's it's pulled together a bit of more connectedness. I know with my children, the mornings yes. are typically rush, 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 scream and yell a little bit, hug, hug and kiss, get them out the door. Now yep. we've had those yep. mornings to get together, enjoy breakfast as a family and, and really not feel rushed. We've been doing some online yoga classes together and laughing and giggling together. So that connectiveness is, has been a, you know, a positive light in this disruption. I want to start so to wrap good. things up, Taylor, and, and really, I'll share with you a quote I, I discovered from some of your some some of my research as a proper <laughs> podcast host here. And nice, you nice. said in the past, audit the things you're deeply passionate about and figure out a way to tell people about it. So, mm. Taylor, what are you currently passionate about? Where can people hear you share it? 
Well, as you can see, like I have the unique gift of living every day doing the thing that I absolutely freaking love, and that's helping entrepreneurs achieve their dreams. Um, it's my heartbeat. I've built my entire life to do just that, which is do a thing that I love every single freaking day, and I'm blessed enough to do that. Um, so you can find us in lots of places. For me personally, the, actually the place I engage the most is on Twitter, at, at Taylor Holiday. There's an awesome community of e-commerce businesses in that environment, um, and I'm on there a ton. So that's where you can follow me personally. You can follow, uh, if you're looking for us as an agency partner, commonthreadcode.com is where you can get a hold of us. If you're an early stage business and that community group makes sense, youradmission.co is where you can find us. And if you're interested in potentially selling your business and you'd be interested in exploring that with us, 4x400.com is where we own and operate and acquire businesses. So that's, that's our world, man. And Taylor, I wish we had more time to chat today, but I know you got a lot of things on your plate. So I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to be here on the Bean Ninjas podcast. Yeah, man. I, I, what I'll say for those of you that listen to this is that I truly believe that the underrated skill that is going to define the future success of the e-commerce businesses is accounting. I have spent the last uh, month, and maybe I can even share some of this in your, your show notes, Wayne. Um, we've developed a training program for our key account executives. We call them the growth guides. Um, and a lot of it has been around helping them develop um, accounting skills and principles because as things become more difficult, your ability to understand how to squeeze profit out of every part of your business is so huge. So I think what you're doing is awesome. And I think it's gonna be a big part of what makes businesses win in the future. So keep going, Wayne. Yeah, we'll be glad to share it as well. Thanks so much. Take care, buddy. Would you like some resources to help you get on top of your business finances and to prepare for what's coming? We're living in unprecedented times where borders are shutting down, mass gatherings are cancelled, and cities, even in entire countries, are going into lockdown in an effort to flatten the curve. In tough and uncertain times, it's more important than ever to rally together. And here at Beaninjas, we believe that now more than ever, it's important for business owners to understand their numbers and to get on top of their finances. To help with that, we've created some helpful tools and resources for you. And most of these are free. If you head over to beaninjas.com forward slash resources, then you're able to access all of them.